Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School from Los Angeles, California. This is Michael Benner, your host every Sunday afternoon. It's 1 o'clock Pacific Time, 4 o'clock in the East, 21 hours Universal Time. And this program, as you know, is podcast. We usually run 20 to 25 minutes, and it's also available streaming at theagelesswisdom.com. That's our primary website after the W's, theagelesswisdom.com. So if you're unable to join us live some week and you want to listen to the stream, either pick up the podcast at the iTunes store or any other major podcast directory on the Internet, or just go to theagelesswisdom.com. Click on Webinars, Free Forum, and you'll see the archive of all the past programs right there for you. You could also download from there as well as stream. Uh, our topic for the day today is the kingdoms of nature, both material and spiritual. And I'm looking forward to presenting this both in a rather cursory way, a kind of an introductory overview here in the free forum, followed by a bit of a meditation exercise, as we always do, help us to find our place in the kingdoms of nature, to feel a little more integrated in life itself. And then in the premium training beginning at 1.30, about a half hour from now, We'll get into depth, roll up our sleeves for an hour or more, and talk in depth about this whole idea of hierarchy and what it really represents. Ultimately, there is but one life, and we're going to break it down into little pieces, starting with the two kingdoms, that basic model, which is largely religious. Then we'll talk about the three kingdoms of the material kingdoms of nature in in terms of the classic model of three. Uh, there is a four model, there is a five model, there's a seven model. <laughs> you sort of get to take your pick, but we'll try to define those for you today as well. And I appreciate you being here. Hope you'll tell your friends about the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. We're coming up on five years now. And again, all the podcasts are available in the iTunes store. So let's, uh, let's talk about the kingdoms. First of all, the whole idea of material and spiritual. Uh, this is the energy and the mass that Einstein talked about, spirit and matter, energy and mass. The idea that the one life, the entire one universe... Una, obviously, meaning one, the one verse, the universe, the cosmos, which is a reference to the ordered or structured universe, is but one thing. Indeed, in spite of the appearance and form of separation and the feeling that the ego provides that each of us is separate, uh, all philosophies really at some point arrive at the understanding that there's only really one of us here. When you break that down into religious uh, 
rules and scripture and, and dogma. The idea goes as far as monotheism, a one God. But that is, as we've discussed in past weeks, often portrayed as a separated being living high above the clouds in a very remote and faraway place. Making the essence of divinity remote, separated, and far away is one of the reasons that religion is so problematic. Not only has its own problems, but causes problems in the world. Uh, You have to petition God with prayer. You have to ask for what you want, as if the universe doesn't know what you need. Uh, You've evolved and you are alive because your needs are met. I find it interesting people debate when does life begin, although religion and philosophy generally agrees that there is no end, whether you see it as a matter of heaven and life eternal, or hell and damnation that is eternal, or reincarnation, which is eternal. There is this agreement that life never ends, but a big debate about when it begins, which I find odd. Um, I think the uh, so-called pro-life forces have really fostered a debate around this. And philosophically, life has no ending, but it also has no beginning. It's one of the primary paradoxes of life, no beginning, no end. To limit life is to limit divinity itself. And it's not much of a god or a creator. It's not very almighty if it has a beginning or an end. So we tend to separate a created life from the source of life in religion, whereas philosophy, as you step back and zoom out, tends to see the one life not as separated, creator and created, but is really an emanation of one thing. And again, not a separated being in the sky above the clouds far away, but a Godhead. Think of it as a pinpoint in the center of a circle, and you could even consider that circle spinning and rotating, or the center of a sphere, if you'd rather think in three dimensions, and that ball or sphere is spinning and rotating. But at the very center is perfect rest, or the axis, if you will, in a sphere around which a body would spin is at rest. As you approach the center of the circle or the axis of the sphere, your velocity through space gets slower and slower and slower until at the center of any circle that revolves is perfect rest. So to think of divinity as emanating from the center of a wheel, like the hub, and radiating out like spokes on a wheel is a pretty good model, though, again, by its very nature, we're using a physical model to describe a metaphysical concept. So it is, after all, a model. A map is not the territory. 
as the Buddhist says, a finger pointing at the moon is not the moon. <laughs> so a model is really, after all, only a model and has its limitations. But it's a good way to approach the idea of unity. So if we're going to break this one life into different parts, let's begin with the idea that one God is not perhaps separated and remote. That's a projection because we feel so alienated and, and separated living in a world of form, which is all separated objects. And we spend our whole lives reaching out to try to connect, right? But we do indeed live in a material world that by its very nature is separated. This is what a scientist would call the world of form or mass or matter. But the world of energy or the world of spirit, on the other hand, is unified by its very nature. The parallel is often the atmosphere, the sky, uh, the ocean, uh, in an unbounded and unlimited sense, say, everywhere equally present energy like radio waves and spirit as consciousness then would be everywhere equally present, not only imbuing the physical world, but standing above and free of the physical world. And this is Einstein's energy as juxtaposed to mass. And Einstein said, postulated, and arguably proved that that's pretty much it for reality. You've got energy, you've got mass, or spirit, and matter, the unlimited, unbounded, versus the limited, the finite, and the separated. And these, then, would be the two kingdoms. If you're going to start to break it down, the kingdoms of nature, there is ultimately but one life and one kingdom, if you will. And then, as you break down the hierarchy, we go to two, which is energy and mass, or spirit and matter. Or in religion, it's often called heaven and earth. What's curious about this, and we'll go into this in more detail in the premium training, is the way in which good and bad, or righteous and evil, has been laid over this separation of energy and mass, or spirit and matter. As if anything spiritual is good of God, and that God rules over all that is spiritual, heaven, and that the earth is hell, that the earth or the physical material universe is the realm of Satan and that which is evil and bad. We see this as far back as 500 BC when the eminent Greek philosopher Pythagoras postulated that the number two is evil because it's not the number one. And I always get a chuckle out of that for all of the wonderful contributions of Pythagoras in geometry and elsewhere. <laughs> That's a very manichaeistic or dualistic model. Talk about either or thinking. The number two is bad because it's not 
the number one. You see, the funny thing about the number one is that its definition in pretty much every language on earth is both one as a separated thing, oh, it's this one, but not that one, or the other one, or that one over there, as opposed to this one over here. These are separated ones. But the word one, especially when capitalized, can also mean the totality, uh, a unitive one that excludes no thing, absolutely inclusive in its nature. So what did Pythagoras mean? He probably meant both, the separated one and the unitive one, not to confuse you, but two is the point where you begin to separate things, right? Two is bifurcation. It's to take something that's whole and cut it in half, or into two parts at least, maybe one-third and two-thirds. <laughs> it doesn't have to be half, but bisected or bifurcated. And because we live in a material universe that is very dualistic in nature, we have two brains, two hemispheres to the brain. We have two minds, a conscious and a subconscious. We have notably two genders, male and female. And so when we become anxious or particularly stressed, we tend to think in terms of everything or nothing. All this or all that, are you with us or against us? If it's not right, it must be wrong. If it's not good, it's got to be bad. It's either of God or Satan that could not both be part good and part bad, you know, a little blessed and a little evil. <laughs> and yet the truth is the middle way, that at least in form, all things are relatively true. So the third way or the middle way is talking about not just a 50-yard line, not just cutting it in half, but in thirds or quarters, or you could have three-quarter piece and a one-quarter piece. It's the full swing of the pendulum, a matter of degree. Don't you see? This is geometry. A matter of degree, all the permutations, all the combinations, all the variations between the extremes of this or that. It's interesting in Freemasonry, these extremes of yin and yang are represented by pillars, these classical Greek or Roman pillars. They even have names, Joachim and Boaz, and they represent not good and evil so much as evil and evil, as the extremes of anything. And goodness is in the middle. So in terms of polarity, we get some mixed metaphor here. Yin and yang, like gender, masculine and feminine, uh, we think of that as right and wrong, good and bad, either or. But it could be that the middle way is where the good is, understanding the relative nature of things. This indeed is what the more esoteric and advanced philosophy says. 
and that when Christ said, I am the way and the light, he's talking about not all this, but also not all that. He's talking about love as a, a unitive force, or at least an element of harmony. Love as consciousness that constitutes a middle way between the extremes of all this and all that. A way that begins to blend and merge, again, variations and combinations and, and permutations. And so we'll talk a little more about the three when we get into the three material kingdoms of mineral, vegetable, and animal. And then the fourth kingdom model, uh, which is mineral, vegetable, animal, and human. And then I've got a fifth model of mineral, vegetable, animal, human, conscious soul in form. And we'll continue from there. Again, I hope you can join us for the premium training as we break this down. And if you're not already enrolled or registered, it's easy to do. Just go to our primary website, theagelesswisdom.com. Remember, the T-H-E is part of it, so after the W is theagelesswisdom.com. Click on Webinars and then Premium Training. And by using your bank card, you can enroll in about 60 seconds. The Thank You page and an email that is sent out immediately both contain the URL, the website, the address, and the passwords that you'll need to listen live beginning at 1.30 today. And there's a very nice discount if you enroll for a 13-week quarter, an even deeper discount if you enroll for a full year. And then every week, Saturday night or Sunday morning just before the class, you get the URL and the password for that week. They obviously change because it's tuition-based. Also, that program, the premium training, is available by replay for those who have enrolled. It's not podcast because it's tuition-based. This program is podcast, the free forum, but obviously the tuition-based program requires you to maintain, hold on to that email with the URL and the password in it. The same link and the same password will work after the event, a week later, a month later, a year later. You can listen to these programs. I suggest you download them and keep them on your computer, then you don't have to worry about holding on to those emails. They're yours to keep and to share with your friends once you enroll and pay for the class. You can do pretty much what you will. Except, of course, I don't want you to sell it, but if you want to share it with a friend, give it away. That's like loaning them a book. That's that's just fine with me. All right, so the one kingdom, the two kingdoms of spirit and matter, God and Satan, and then I've already suggested the three kingdoms are the material kingdoms, the spiritual hierarchy above it we're going to break down a little bit, and most notably we'll be talking about what unifies and separates this whole model, and it really has to do with self-awareness. 
the, the lowest in terms of frequency of the material kingdoms, the mineral kingdom, is the least self-aware. It is the least likely to see itself as part of the one life. It recognizes itself as separated form, uh, part of the background of all things. Uh, the animal is a little more self-aware depending on its evolutionary state. There are some very highly evolved animals like dolphins and whales and uh, some of the new research is amazing around octopus, is it octopi, plural, and even crows. Remarkable research about crows and their intelligence, how self-aware is an animal. Well, it depends on the animal. And then there have been those who said we need to treat human beings as a fourth kingdom because they are more self-aware than the animals. We'll demonstrate why that is in the premium training and talk about how each kingdom depends upon the previous kingdoms, how your body relies upon, depends upon the material kingdom. You're made up of that stuff. Your physical body is made up of the earth. But you also require plants. You have to eat your vegetables, right? And the animal kingdom, which is a little more mobile and a little more free, and yet we draw upon the animal kingdom. We have sap, blood, if you will. We have hair on our bodies. Animals draw upon the lower kingdoms. Humans pull upon all of the kingdoms. When we cross over to the spiritual realm, how does that work? And what is the level of self-awareness? Oddly, the nature of the self begins to dissolve as we ascend the spiritual hierarchy toward the center of the hub, the center of the wheel, the perfect peace and rest at the middle of the chaos, the eye of the storm, so to speak. So I hope you can join us in the premium training. Why don't you close your eyes right now? Let's do a short little three-minute meditation here and orient ourselves. Sit up and square your shoulders. Open up your rib cage and lift your chin a little bit. Think of yourself as balanced, aligned, and receptive as... You take a few slow, deep breaths. Again, close your eyes. This is to convince the brain that you're safe. You close your eyes. You take a few slow, deep breaths. And as you exhale in particular, create and sense a feeling of relaxation. The brain tends to perceive confusion as if it were dangerous. And we're all so confused and overstimulated that largely what a meditation or relaxation or contemplation exercise does is persuade the brain that it's safe. And so emotionally it becomes more calm and peaceful. And mentally the thoughts that distract us from the present moment become quieter, less boisterous, and fewer in number. 
And so as you sit still physically, the mind quiets, the emotional nature becomes calm. And this is the peace and love that every religious and spiritual person seeks. In life, and in what is perceived as an afterlife, but is in fact the one life. Simply watch yourself breathe and practice the mindfulness of being in the moment, on purpose, and free of judgment. Consider any thought, any analysis, any desire by your mental nature to figure things out as if it were a distraction. You'll have plenty of time for that in your waking state. For now, just let go of those distractions and be present in the moment, awake and aware on purpose. You do this deliberately and free of judgment. Breathe and relax, feeling safe, feeling whole, feeling alert, and consider that you've had to close your eyes and sit still in order to wake up, that a life of Overstimulation is as much a trance as sleep itself, and you are most awake and most alert in the middle between awake and asleep, in these states of warm and wonderful, peaceful relaxation and safety. Prepare to come back to the wide awake state now. So you can practice this exercise for longer periods, 10 or 15 minutes at a time. For now, inhale, big, slow, deep breath, hold, and as you exhale, relax, open your eyes, wide awake, alert, wide awake. Let those thoughts race and run, <laughs> although you'll carry some of the relaxed affect with you in the waking state. That's a good thing. Hope to see you in a couple of minutes at the premium training site. Thanks for being here. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. So long from L.A.